On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about plan of salvation perversions. Yeah, you know, we talk about, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the plan of salvation and the things that one must do, the steps one must pursue in order to be saved. And at every step of the way, men have perverted those concepts. And yep. so we want to talk about that in our study tonight. It's an important discussion, and it gets started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday december 15th 2022 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad great to be with you tonight jacob good with you kyle is here behind the controls yeah, it's good to be here. here kyle Glad that you're listening on the other end of the line tonight. We look forward to hearing from you at uh, 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, or in the chat window room. You can sign in and uh, share your comments with listeners from all over the place tonight, out in California, Vermont, um, all over. So uh, share your comments uh, in the chat room tonight on this important discussion. little housekeeping real quick, Jacob. Remember that we have our... 2023 Bible reading calendars ready to to roll out. Got got uh, a chance to send some of those out this past week. <clears throat> so if you'd like a hard printed copy of our 2023 daily Bible reading calendar, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and then give us your snail mail or your U.S. mail uh address so that we can get that in the mail to you okay all right and then and know too that we the lord willing we'll have that when the new year begins we'll have that on our website as well okay but you want to get it you want to get it in the mail before the end of the year so you can get started exactly okay so uh do that um so jacob my thinking on this topic tonight is this we we often hold up the fingers of one hand to denote the, the steps in the plan of salvation. One must hear, Romans ten seventeen. faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He must believe, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One must confess faith in Jesus. With the heart man believeth unto salvation, but with the heart, with the, with the mouth... With the heart man believeth unto salvation, with the mouth confession is... I'm not saying that right. Say that for me. Heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans ten ten. Be uh, be baptized. Uh, uh, what I'm, uh, repent. Luke thirteen three. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts two thirty eight. Uh, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about the five steps in a plan of salvation, but. The thought tonight is that at every step along that process, men have perverted the notions, the concepts of what one must do in order to be saved. Now, that, that idea that there are those, those five steps, that's not a, a man-made thing. That's, those are scriptures 
that each are and ideas and concepts that are each connected with salvation. Yeah, I've, I've had people in the past complain that we call it the plan of salvation. That's our designation. That's not you, you can't read that phrase in the New Testament, but it's a fair it's a fair description of what we're we're talking about. Yeah. So if you want to know what you need to be saved, you need to look at the entirety of the New Testament. What did people have to do in the New Testament? Uh, do you need to believe? Well, that's clear. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, it says you have to repent. You have to do that. And it talks about confession. If we won't confess him before men, he won't confess us before his father. So people agree with that. Then we get up to the idea of baptism, and that's a sticking point. But the same language is used around it as it is with all the others. Yeah. So it is a plan. It's God's plan. It's not our plan. We didn't invent that. It's God's plan for what he requires men to do in order to to be recipients of salvation. Now, I think it's important to point out right up front, we're not saying that doing any of that earns you salvation. None of that would make you meritoriously saved. You you couldn't say, boy, look at me. Look what I did. I have earned my salvation. It's not about that. A lot of people want to criticize us in that regard and say that we're teaching a salvation of works uh, to earn salvation, and we're not. Nope. We are saying that those are the conditions that God has set forth in order to be the recipients of his gift of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 is in our Bible as it is in yours, and we believe it wholeheartedly. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We wholeheartedly believe exactly what Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, and we can interpret Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 in such a way that will harmonize with all of the scriptures that we've referenced so far. A lot of folks want to take Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 out of the Bible and take that as their answer and then just ignore the passages that we've looked at. We have to be able to harmonize Ephesians 2 8 and 9 with Luke 13 3 that says we have to repent, with Romans 10 verse 10 that says you have to confess, with Acts 2.38 that says you have to be baptized, we can harmonize those ideas. We can harmonize all those verses. And if I just take Ephesians 2.8.9 out of context and ignore the others, then I've done it a great disservice. And, and we're not saying that, that, again, we're not saying that we earn salvation. We still acknowledge what Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift from God. But, you know, sometimes when we give gifts to people, we give those gifts based upon certain conditions. Come to my house tomorrow, I'll give you $20. Well, coming to my house wouldn't earn you $20. It would still be a gift, but you had to meet that condition in order to receive it. And that's I think that's a good description of the way salvation works. We're not earning it. It's still a gift. It, uh, we never would deserve it, but we have to meet certain conditions in order to receive it. All right. All right, so uh, let's start out with the the first idea that I think men have perverted, and that has to do with faith, faith based upon hearing the word of God. Of course, the the passage that we already referenced was Romans ten seventeen. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the kind of faith <coughs> that leads to salvation, that faith is should be based upon what you have heard or learned or received out of God's word. Correct. Hearing by the word of God, not the word of men, the the wisdom of men, but the word of God is what will save us. We have to we have to be uh, committed to the word. 
We have to understand what Paul understood about the word in Romans chapter 1. He said he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. G, uh, Paul understood, Romans 1 verse 16, that, that the gospel is God's power to save. What I was thinking about a, a possible perversion of this notion that you get your faith by studying, learning, hearing, receiving the word of God. We hear people today, and I don't think it's a new thing. I think it's always been so. People want to relate some kind of extra biblical experience that they had. You know, this and this happened. And, and, and when this happened, I got this really incredible feeling, an overpowering emotion. And I just knew that, that there was a God in heaven. Uh, you know, I, I, I believed in Jesus because of this overcome, better felt oh, than told experience or I was that overcome, I had. Yeah, but it's, yeah. And so that's a perversion. Anybody who says that they developed their faith based upon some supernatural or extra biblical experience that they had, that's just not so. That's not the way the Bible says you get faith. You know, we have some instances in the New Testament of people who actually did have supernatural experiences. Cornelius, for instance, in Acts chapter 10, an angel appeared to him, but the angel said, send for Peter. He'll tell thee what you must do. Yeah. So it wasn't, he didn't, he didn't develop his faith based upon it. He, he actually had a supernatural experience, but he had to be taught, send for Peter and he will tell you. One chapter earlier in chapter nine of Acts, uh, Saul of Tarshish sees Jesus, talks to Jesus and Jesus tells him uh, in verse 6 of Acts 9, uh, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He had to have a preacher come to him. Jesus appeared to Paul, but he had to have a preacher, Ananias, that would come and speak to him. So well, you you would think that if somebody is waiting for a salvation experience of some kind, some better felt than told experience, <clears throat> you would think that. Paul and Cornelius would say, hey, listen, I've been there. That's not how you get it. You have to hear the word. One chapter earlier in chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. The angel is involved in the Ethiopian eunuch being saved. But what he does is he connects him with Philip so that he can hear the word. And the word is what saves him, even though an angel was involved in his conversion. It is the word in all of those instances that that is the power wait, for wait, salvation. Just multiply the example. Acts 16, the Philippian jailer. There was this incredible earthquake. Kind of weirdly, wouldn't you think that the earthquake opened all the prison doors? Would you think that a typical earthquake would do that? Probably not. Yeah. But even with that extreme show of force and power on the part of God, what happened was... Uh, that Paul and Silas taught, it says in verse 32, Acts 16, they spake unto him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. Yeah. And so that's how faith comes. Faith. So all of those examples verify Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And a little bit earlier in Romans chapter 10, how then shall they call on him, him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You can't believe unless you hear. You can't hear unless you have a, someone teach you the gospel is the power again. No miraculous intervention. 
I think that's exactly right. There's another perversion, though, that, that some would want to hear something other than the gospel. They would want to hear the wisdom of men, the teaching of men, the thinking of men, rather than the pure, unadulterated gospel of Christ. Yeah, that that maybe by hearing uh, oh some philosopher or or maybe some great theologian, you know, I someone says I I base my faith upon what John Calvin wrote. Yeah, you know, that's not where faith comes from. Yeah. Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my speech, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul understood that this is what people need, not what he could say, not any wisdom or fancy talk, smooth talk that he could provide. What people needed is the gospel, and that's what he wanted to teach. Now, before we before we move on from perversions about faith we've got to cover the idea jacob that some say that's all you got to have is faith you know once you develop that faith man that's it you're saved you don't have to go any further you don't have to do anything else we often refer to it as salvation by faith only and that's been around for a long time but it's never been true the scriptures teach that that the saving faith that you get by hearing the word of god is a faith that must Put, be put into action. Absolutely. A faith that mandates action. In fact, if you don't have action, you don't have the faith. We'd always wants. like to point out Hebrews 11 that, that identifies just a whole host of great heroes of the Old Testament. And it talks about what that, it talks about their faith. And in every instance, it talks about what their faith caused them to do. Right. Faith must lead to action. It's always been that way with God. And uh, James chapter 2 has got to be brought into this discussion. Verse 14, what does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Pretty simple question. A lot of people say, well, yeah, all you need is faith. And James says, if you don't have works, it doesn't profit you. A few weeks ago, we had a program where we reviewed uh, some commercials that Franklin Graham has had on TV recently. I've, he's still doing it. I just saw, I just heard one or two this last week. Franklin Graham is teaching people they're saved if they believe. And all I have to do, now, he actually, I don't think he wants to admit that, but he's actually requiring something more than faith because he wants them to s- say the sinner's prayer. Well, if you have to say the sinner's prayer, that's more than faith only. If you think about it. And in fact, that is the works that are condemned in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, ironically, the works that you would invent of your own devising. Yeah. Uh, that the, the sinner's prayer is a completely fabricated doctrine. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. Look from cover to cover. You won't find it. Exactly right. So <clears throat> just right out of the box, Jacob, just from the very start, people are perverting this idea of what one must do to be saved. And they they pervert it on the on on the first part of that, which is required faith. Here's what Dwight uh, wrote in his email tonight. He said, "Some men have decided that what they think is more important than what God has spoken. To believe and teach others that faith is the only key to heaven is contrary to God's will. He has told us in the book of James that faith without works is dead, being alone. Faith has to be accompanied with works. One." Without the other is worthless. This is found in James 2, verses 14 through 26. Also, when we look at examples of the Apostle Paul after his conversion, his faith led him to action. He did as was commanded by the Lord. We see that even the Lord showed his people 
uh, showed his love to people by the things he did, not just believing he could do it. Okay. Thanks, Dwight. Appreciate it. All right. So uh, we are over time for a break. Let's grab a break. When we come back, let's talk about how people have perverted the notion of repentance. All right. We'll do that on the other side. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13:16. Search for things you can share today. In doing so, you're living in a way that's pleasing to God. Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Nothing confirms evil men in their course of unbelief like the backsliding of the righteous. Unsaintly saints are the tragedy of Christianity. Life is tragic for the person who has plenty to live on but nothing to live for. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians three seventeen. Now back to the program. And we're back on the program looking at plan of salvation perversions. And uh, we're talking about that on the program tonight. Dwight and Michelle in the chat room say so many twists of scriptures to their own destruction. They re- reference Second Peter chapter three verse sixteen, as also in all his apostles' epistles, speaking in them of things which, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. Possible to twist the scriptures. Yeah. All right, Hoosiers in the chat room says, if the spirit truly convicts, the sinner won't need a pre-written prayer. Um, well, I think that's true, uh, but if if the spirit truly convicts through the word, then then the sinner. We'll, we'll get busy doing what the Word tells him to do. Right, right. Yeah. And it doesn't tell him to pray a prayer. Yeah, yeah. Where do we get our faith? Remember that. It's not that we're going to get moved on by the Spirit. We get our faith by the Word of God. That's what produced by the Spirit, but it, it's not it's not a direct action. It's, yeah, it, it, it comes from the Word. Romans 10, yeah. verse 17. Yeah. Again, read that again. Romans 10, seven, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith comes from the Word of God. The script, the Spirit is not going to move you external to the Word. Yeah. And that's what Paul said in Romans 1, verse 16, that it is the, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And that is uh, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for everyone who believes. The power is in the gospel. The Spirit's not working on people external to the gospel. It's convicting us through the Word. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's talk about how people have perverted the notion of repentance. I, I think, Jacob, and a lot of people have, have said so, I think that probably the very hardest thing God asks us to do is not baptism. Being baptized is not a hard thing to do. I think the hardest thing that God has asked to do is, is to repent. Very often we define repentance as a change of heart that leads to a change of action. In Second Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 10, back up to verse 9, Paul said, I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. 
For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So notice that there's a a, a worldly kind of sorrow. Well, what kind of sorrow would that be? Well, I'm sorry for the horrible consequences I've brought upon myself. And so I I, I committed a crime and I've been thrown in jail. And I'm looking at 20 years in jail. I sure am sorry about that. I hate, I hate the outcome that I am in jail. But statistically, there's a high probability that when I get out, I'll go back and do the same thing over again that got me there in the first place. The recidivism rate of criminals put in prison and let out is extremely high. They're sorry while they're in prison, but they haven't repented while they're in prison. Yeah. Because if they'd repented, they wouldn't do the same deeds over again. Yeah. All right. Um, and we can't leave without Luke 13, verse 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish, Jesus said. And we have examples of folks who did just that. Um, in First Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If we don't have to repent, we can keep being fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, If repentance is not necessary, I can be any one of those, and I can keep living as wicked as I was before I believed if repentance is not necessary. That's exactly right. And most everybody would agree, Jacob, on some of those sins that are in that list. For instance, if I had been a notorious thief and I wanted to to be saved, I'd have to stop being a thief, right? And I think everybody agrees to that. But what about some of the other things that are listed? What about adulterer? So I'm living in an adulterous marriage relationship. I don't have a right to be married to my wife, but but I want to be saved. But some people say, well, it'd be okay to stay with that wife that you don't have a right to. I haven't repented. If I'm still if I'm still in that adulterous relationship, I haven't repented. I I haven't turned from my sin. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. I haven't changed anything. Right. What about homosexuality? If if according to an awful lot of people these days, you could be a Christian and continue in the sin of homosexuality. Well, there's no repentance there. And so I, I, to me, I think that's the, uh, the, the great perversion of the notion of repentance is that, first of all, all it means is that you're sorry. That's not enough. Secondly, you can keep, in, at least in regards to some sins, you can keep doing them and it doesn't matter. See, we're, we're, what we're doing is we're harmonizing what the scriptures teach. Do the scriptures say you have to have faith? Yes, but they also teach very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, that you've got to repent. We're harmonizing the scriptures. And so we conclude that faith only can't be the answer here. We've got to have other aspects in and, our life. And, and interestingly, Jacob, again, most everybody would agree that you have to stop committing 
some sins. You can't keep being a thief. Uh, you, you can't keep being... They would probably even agree that you can't continue to be a drunkard. Now, we, we've, we've studied a lot of times in the virtual Bible study about social drinking, but most everybody says it's a sin to get drunk. Well, this says that drunkards, you can't continue to... But, again, most people say you can't continue to be a thief, can't continue to be a drunkard, but you could continue to be a homosexual. You could continue in an adulterous marriage relationship, and that's just that's just not true. That's not true repentance. Unless you're a logical and consistent Calvinist who truly believes that all you have to do is believe, then you can do anything you want, and uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but clearly the Scriptures... Uh, but in that text that. that you read, Jacob, 1 Corinthians 6, I, I think people should really highlight that in their Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Every one of those things, they such were some of you. They had repented. They had repented. That's what Jesus said you had to do unless you want to perish, Luke 13, verse 3. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's grab the next one, Jacob. Uh, so Okay, let's read Dwight and Michelle first. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, Dwight says, Repentance is one thing I believe most people believe in, but have a difficult time in doing. There are those who believe they need to stop getting drunk, but it is still okay to have a drink from time to time. Repentance is coming out of darkness. What about lying? Is it okay to lie as long as no one gets hurt? Is speeding okay as long as they don't get caught or cause an accident? Our actions may have caused someone else to sin. If a brother can speed five over, surely it's okay for me. Repentance is stopping what you had been doing that was wrong and start doing that which was right. When we sin, we cause someone to stumble by our ungodly actions. I think you're right. All right. Good. Good. Uh, appreciate that, Dwight. Yeah. Okay. So, again, we're just pointing out that God has a plan. Uh, we've got to follow his plan, not our plan. We didn't invent the plan. But we've got to follow God's plan for our salvation. And that requires us developing a faith based upon the word of God and having heard the word of God and understanding it, believing it, then when we realize that our lives are not in harmony with the word of God, we've got to repent. We've got to have a change of heart that leads to a change in action. Hoosier in the chat room said, too many people attempt to repent in order to be saved. The saving blood will change your desires to sin. And Hoosier references, I think, 1 Corinthians 5 verse, and maybe it's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 12. Uh, let's see here. I don't know which it's one. It's one or the other. Let's see. First Corinthians five twelve doesn't seem to fit his point. I don't think. Um, yeah, Hoosier, if you don't mind uh, clarifying that reference there, um, um, I don't see it. Second Corinthians Se- five verse twelve okay. says, uh, "We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart." Um, so I guess those are the, I guess that idea of, of hypocrisy there maybe where you want to look good but yeah you're not. And, and we would agree that that this repentance can't just be an outward appearance of things it's got to come from the heart repentance has got to come from the heart but if you don't repent you won't be saved Jesus said Luke thirteen three except you repent you shall all likewise perish so we're not trying to make a show to men but if I've been if I've been a drunk or a thief. I've got to stop doing those things. Now, others may notice that. Uh, hopefully, they would notice that I've stopped doing those sinful things in my life. Yeah. I'm not doing it for the for the show or appearance. It's a change of life that comes from a change of heart. Again, if I don't have to repent to be saved, then I can be an idolater and go to heaven, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And that doesn't work because Paul said idolaters won't go to heaven. 
So if I don't have to repent in order to be saved, then I can be any one of those sins that we talked about. I can be a, a thief. I can be a drunkard and go to heaven if repentance isn't required. I'm, 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 I may be reading Hoosier. You can clarify us if we're misinterpreting your comment here. But I'm, I'm, I'm seeing in Hoosier's comment that repentance is something that God works on me versus something that I, that I determine to do. Uh, he, he says the saving blood will change your desires to sin. I think I've got to change my desires about sin in order to be saved, in order to have this. Same attitude toward sin. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, we you, do. Want, we do want to get to that attitude where we don't desire to sin. That, but the fact of the matter is, we read about people who became Christians and who still sin. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, the Apostle John himself said in First John chapter one, uh, verse eight: If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. His word is not in us. Yeah. So even the Apostle John included himself in the idea that the desire for sin was still within it. And true with Paul as well in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul realized there was a danger there that he had desires that he had to keep in check. And it wasn't that the Spirit had moved over him and now he no longer had any kind of desire to sin or do evil. No, he said, I keep my body in subjection. I've, I'm working at this. It's a constant thing for Paul. Uh, you know, there is a doctrine in the religious world of the second working of grace. And uh, according to some denominational dogmas, the second working of grace is that idea that, that you are just ridded of the desire to sin. And I don't think the Bible ever teaches that. It didn't seem to be the case with the Apostle Paul. Um Hoosier goes on, salvation grants uh, is being born again. All things, oh, all old things pass away. Well, our former sins are washed away in baptism. But that we, we still have to continue to grow in the faith. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 calls us babes. We're just babes in Christ when we first obey the gospel. Uh, and, and we've got to go through a maturing process we're not free from the temptation to sin. Uh, we've got to still exercise our, our our will in that matter. And so, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to leave the impression by anything said that would suggest that our will in the matter is erased, and, and we don't all, we no longer have to 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 combat the uh, temptation or sin. In First Peter chapter six, Paul told Timothy. Uh, uh, oh, let's see. That's not, I don't think that's, that's not what I was looking for. Let's see. Uh, well, I'll have to look it up. Maybe I'll find it in our break. Uh, oh man, I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, to flee useful lust. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of James four, uh, Submit, this is what I'm thinking of. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So, you know, there is this submitting to God and resisting the devil that's, that is an act of our will. It's not done for us. 
Right. So we have to harm again. We're talking about harmonizing the scriptures here. And so we've got to harmonize this idea that that John says that we have that we sin. And if we say we don't sin, then we're a liar and the truth of God is not in us. Well, how can we sin if the spirit is working on us in such a way that we no longer have a desire to sin that it somehow comes over us in some way? Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness. That's a, that's a that's an act of the will. That, that's he didn't say, hey, you, the spirits worked on you. Now you don't have any youthful lust. Yeah. He still had lust yeah. that he needed to flee. I think that's right. Um, okay. All right. We're going to have to move quickly. Uh, the And we appreciate the comments. Hoosier. Keep them coming. Uh, we we want to talk this through and uh, see if we can't come uh, to a common understanding here. Okay, so let's talk, when we come back from the break, let's talk about how people have perverted the idea of confessing faith in Jesus. All right, we're going to get a break, get this week's bullet point, and we're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. I'm not a real serious fan of soccer. Oh, yes, if there's a big match being played, maybe like the World Cup going on right now, for instance, I might watch a little, and I do have an appreciation for the athletic abilities of the true stars of the sport. But overall, I'm not a big fan, and my actions prove it. On the other hand, I love football, American football, that is, to those of you who insist that soccer is actually football. I keep up with the scores, statistics, and standings. I watch games as often as possible. I've even been known to sit out in the rain, freezing temperatures, and even a snowstorm in order to attend a game in person. I'm a fan. My actions prove it. The same sort of analysis can be made about one's real devotion to the Lord. In fact, you could say that it is fairly easy to detect if a person is truly converted to Christ or not. Indications of such can be seen in many ways. For instance, attendance. Does an individual attend all the assemblies and Bible studies unless seriously hindered by illness or something of that sort? If so, we would count this as a sign of commitment. But if their attendance is very spotty and many things keep them from the assemblies, we'd be suspicious that something is lacking in the area of true conviction and devotion. What about service? Does he or she look for opportunities to serve or is he or she looking to be constantly on the receiving end of help, visits, kindnesses, and so forth? Or what about the chip on the shoulder outlook? Is this person one that is easily offended even by the most trivial of matters? Are they ready to quit the church over some minor problem? If so, this would surely demonstrate a lack of true devotion to the Lord. This list can be expanded considerably, but we hope you get the idea. Others can easily see how serious you are about doing the will of God. And, of course, God himself knows perfectly whether you're truly converted or not. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Dwight Bovett. And I'm Michelle Bovett. And we're from Ames, Iowa. We listen to the virtual Bible study every week. And we invite you to do the same. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the virtual Bible study tonight. Remind us, program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. And Kyle can help you with uh, some more learning opportunities. Yeah, which uh, there's a a wealth of uh, lessons and uh, Bible studies on our other channel, the College View live stream which you can just type in College View on their search bar on YouTube. You'll easy to find us. Yeah, a lot of uh, wealth of resources over there. A lot of studies uh, going through Luke, and we're still uh, looking at Old Testament uh, character studies on Wednesday nights. It's a good good studies. How do I find it, Kyle? At uh, College View Livestream. I got it. 
Thank you, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Thank and you no charge. No, no charge. But you can like or subscribe, I hear. Thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Uh, Hoosier in the chat room references, uh, Hoosier's glasses were foggy. Uh, and the intended reference was Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 17. There, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, I think it is. I, I mean, our life has changed. There's no doubt about it. But that that's that would be short of saying that our desires to sin have been erased from us. Uh, he he said that uh, in, in the post just in his his uh, comment just before that he says uh, becoming a Christian, being born again, our desire to be holy is implanted in us by the Spirit. Then, as we mature, we must consciously resist evil. Well, if if the desire to be holy is implanted us in, in the Spirit. I don't know. We, we may be quibbling over words here. I, I believe the Holy Spirit works through the Word. And as I study the Word, then I do have a desire to become more and more like God wants me to be. And so in that sense, the Holy Spirit does produce in me a desire to be holy. I think he does it not supernaturally. It's, it's, he, he doesn't just zap me with that desire. I get that desire by learning the Word inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and it provokes in me a desire to live a holy life. I'm not perfect in that, uh, but th- that desire should be there, as the, and that, that desire should grow in us as we study the word more and more. All right, uh, Hoosier, thank you for the continued comments. Let's uh, let's keep uh, going here. Let's uh, talk about how men have perverted uh, the idea of confessing Jesus. So, the verse that I messed up earlier, Romans 10, verse 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you confess Jesus unto salvation. That means that this is a necessary thing leading toward salvation. With the mouth man confesses unto salvation. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you're not there yet, but you're moving in that direction. And confession is one of the things that, that keeps you moving in the direction of being saved. Now, that confession is, uh, it, it, uh, first of all, uh, just a point of clarification. Some people think that we're saying you have to confess all your past sins. And that's not what we're saying. Now, sometimes the Bible does teach the notion of confessing sins, uh, but not as a part of this initial plan of salvation. This confession is a confession of our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, like was asked of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Verse 37. Uh, Yeah, verse 37. So uh, uh, we need to confess our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. One of the the perversions that I'm aware of is that people will confess that Jesus was, Jesus was a, a good man. He was a really good man. He was an excellent moral teacher, but he was just a man. He wasn't. He wasn't the only begotten Son of God. He wasn't divine. That's that's not the confession we're to make. We're to, we're to confess that we believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, the divine Son of God. And so, one of the perversions, one of the ways men have perverted confession is just just acknowledge that Jesus was a, a good man and a good teacher. That's not enough. You know, the there are some agnostics who would confess well. I'm not sure, but I want to make, I'm just going to be careful, be safe. And just in case Jesus was the son of God, just in case there is a God, yeah, I don't want him to be mad at me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to obey. Yeah. 
That won't cut it. No, that's right. That's not legitimate or sincere from the heart kind of obedience. That it, we're not, what are you confessing? You don't, you're not confessing you're faith. You're not even sure. I'm, yeah. I'm, you're confessing your doubt. Yeah, right. I'll tell you another way that men pervert this idea of confessing Jesus is to confess that Jesus is a way to God. You could come to God through Jesus, but you could come to God through the religion of Islam. You could even come to God through the religion of Judaism that denies Jesus. Mm -hmm. Or maybe some Hinduism, Eastern religions. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So uh, Jesus is the exclusive way to God. And and we have to acknowledge that we we can't say he's just he's just a good man and and you can follow his teachings, they'll lead you to God. But there's other ways to get to God. Acts four verse twelve. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Right. Okay. So we we see some some pretty serious, I think, critical uh, errors that people have taught concerning confessing Jesus. So. I hope we I hope people seeing the thread that we're that we're sowing here tonight at every step in the plan of salvation. Men have twisted the various steps What we got from Dwight. Dwight says not sure on this simply because most people I've talked to believe it is important to confess Jesus as the son of God. Now, there may be those who do not believe this, but this just shows a lack of true faith. God's word spells this out for us very clearly that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and his, this conception was from God. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Upon knowing this and in becoming a Christian, we understand that what 1 John 4, verse 15 means. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Okay. All right. right. Thank you, Dwight. Thank you, Dwight. Let's move quickly on to baptism. Of course, there's no no part of this whole discussion uh, uh, where there's more controversy than than there is surrounding baptism. I don't even hardly know where to start, Jacob, on, on all the perversions about baptism. I guess we could start with infant baptism. The Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. An infant couldn't do the things necessary to be scripturally baptized. They couldn't hear and believe. They couldn't repent. They couldn't verbally confess faith in Jesus. They couldn't do any of the things that are necessary leading up to baptism. Infant baptism is an error. It's, it's believed and practiced by Many people in the religious world, but it's not biblical. See, two of those prerequisites, again, in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, the eunuch wants to be baptized. Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He made a confession there, but he also believed. Philip said, if you don't believe, you can't be baptized. And an infant doesn't believe. An infant has no idea what's going on. Yeah, that's right. So, we could talk about mode of baptism, sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Well, the 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 Bible word for baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it literally means. And all experts agree, it always means. There's it no never, discussion about it. There's no dis, there's no disagreement. All all Greek scholars acknowledge that baptism means immersion, to dip, to plunge, to submerge. But then you get to what people teach about it. They say, well, it doesn't matter. The Bible word, what they were doing in the New Testament was they were submerging people, but it doesn't matter. You can sprinkle a little water on somebody and that'll be fine. You can whatever you want to do, but 
you got to do it like the Bible says. I mean, so, you know, if you can change that, then there's no limit. to You can change anything you want. But why would you why would you take that liberty? That that is so plain. I mean, that is so just openly obvious that, that what New Testament baptism is and should be compared to sprinkling or pouring. It's, that, that is such an easily answered question. A while back, I got to uh, tour a Catholic church with a Catholic guy who wanted to, me to see the church building. That was That's very important to someone of that faith. And uh, up front, they had a little bowl of water. He said, no, that's where you would baptize. We'd baptize somebody. He said, but back here in the back, we've got this little wading pool. He said, uh, that might be more like the baptism that you would prefer where you would be dipped. Well, it wasn't deep enough to dip. I think they probably would pour water on you there. He said, yeah, you probably would prefer to be dipped. I said, well, that's how Jesus was baptized. He said, oh, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, again, if that doesn't matter to you, I mean, if you're willing to take that liberty with the word of God, then we don't we don't we're not even playing with the same rule book. If if that's okay, then we'll just throw the rule book out. We'll just do what we want. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I, something very important about baptism that we've got to comment about, Jacob, before we get this last break. One of the perversions about baptism is what's it for? What's the purpose of baptism? In Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Some English versions say, Unto the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Baptism was, is for or unto the remission of sins. It's, but some people teach that you should be baptized after you've already been saved. In other words, you, you're baptized to show that you are already saved. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says baptism is unto salvation. First Peter First Peter three verse twenty one. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves us. And Jesus said the same in Mark sixteen verses fifteen and sixteen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, again, we're harmonizing scriptures. That's what we need to be doing in every aspect of our Bible study is harmonizing the scriptures. We can't interpret one scripture that forces a contradiction with another. The scriptures teach we have to believe. They teach that we have to repent, that we have to confess, and that we have to be baptized. We have to accept the clear teachings of the Scripture on this matter and not interpret one passage that forces a contradiction with another. Exactly right. Dwight says baptism has been perverted in many ways. It has been taught, uh, it has been taught that it is done by pouring, sprinkling, or even by a proxy where someone else is baptized for the dead. It has been taught that baptism is done as an outward sign of an inward grace. It has been taught that infants need to be baptized because they were born with original sin. Baptism is none of that. The Bible teaches us that baptism puts us in touch with the blood of Christ. Romans 6, 3 says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Also, baptism has been perverted, saying baptism does not save us. On the contrary, 1 Peter 3, 21 says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. He says, uh, So sad that people twist the word of God to fit what they want, not what God wants. I think you're right, Dwight. Exactly right. All right. We need to get a break. When we come back, one more thing to talk about. Uh, Hoosier in the chat room said Christ was either the son of God 
or a raving lunatic. This is cr a crucial fact in witnessing to Muslims. He never claimed to be a prophet. Yeah. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Yep. And you got you can't have it both ways. Yep. All right. We're going to get a break. And when we get back, uh, we've got to talk about living a faithful life. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Every year, more than 4,000 U.S. churches close their doors, and that's compared to just over 1,000 new church startups. Every year, 2.7 million U.S. church members fall into inactivity. That information is via churchleadership.org. The Word of God says in Matthew 13, verse 15, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, talking about salvation perversions on the program tonight. So we've talked about how people have perverted faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. But we also know that, uh, that an additional condition of our salvation is that once we have been saved, once we've been baptized into Christ, then we must continue to live faithfully. Uh, Revelation 2 verse 10 says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so uh, a, a continued life of faithful service is absolutely necessary. That's what Paul was working on. He wanted to keep his body under subjection so he wouldn't become disqualified. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27 uh, so he was worried that uh, he would uh, be able to live in a way that would not be pleasing to God. A big perversion of this point, Jacob, is the notion of once saved, always saved. Calvinism teaches the impossibility of apostasy, that once you're saved, you can't ever fall away. And that's just simply not biblical at all. Uh, as you say, why would Paul worry about being a castaway? Why would he buffet his body, bring it into subjection if, he, if there was no danger of falling away? First Peter chapter or second Peter chapter two, verse 20. Why would Peter write for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Verse 22, for, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. It would be better not to have known than to have known and turned away. Well, you were already lost before you knew the Scriptures. Why is it worse than that? Or being worse than that means you've got to be lost, right? Yeah, if, if, if you're in worse shape. I think the reason you're in worse shape is because now you've heard the Word and you've rejected you it. You threw away your lifeline. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is you were lost before. Now you're in a worse shape 
So you were, you're certainly lost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 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 catch Dwight's comment there, Jay. Uh, this concept of lifelong faithfulness, I believe, deals with once someone confesses their faith in Jesus, that they cannot lose their faith nor their spot in heaven. And looking at some of the most simple verses in the Bible, we see this just isn't the way it is. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 and verses 22 and 20, 21 through 23 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 21 reaffirms it takes more than just faith, to mere faith, to make it into heaven. Yeah, right. Jesus said, you're going to have to do the will of my Father. And they had faith. They called him Lord, and they thought they were serving him, but they weren't serving him the way he wanted them to serve him. And he says, that's not going to cut it. Yeah. You've got to do the will of my Father. You know, I, I, I've heard the point made that some people teach once saved, always saved. But there are other, but there are a lot more people who may not teach it, but who act like they believe it because of the way they, they're Christians, but they're not working at maintaining faithfulness, yeah. and so they, they, they might not teach once saved, always saved, but they act like they believe it. Yeah. Hebrews five verse nine, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We can't understand that passage the way it needs to be understood if we don't believe that we've got to be obedient in all of our life to serving God. Um, again, we have to be able to harmonize these important scriptures. All right. So hopefully that's a good review of something that we've talked about a lot of times over in the Virtual Bible Study, Jacob, uh, what one must do to be saved. That's the most important question in the life. What must I do to be saved? And, no. and the scriptures lay it out there. It's not difficult. It's, you, know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Yep. It's, it's just out there in very plain language. Unfortunately, through the centuries, not just in our time, but through the centuries, men have been seemingly very determined to pervert almost every step or literally every step in the plan of salvation. Yep, absolutely. It's important that we understand this. And it's important that we don't take the word of men. We take the word of God. What does God say? How do we see it in the Bible? And how do we harmonize those important passages? Well, Jacob. Uh, in our update uh, that we sent out by email earlier today, we said we had a big announcement to make about the virtual Bible study. And uh, it is. It's a big announcement because we have determined that we're going to bring the virtual Bible study to a close. Uh, we've been doing this every, almost virtually every Thursday night for the last 17 and a half years. We've missed a few. I, I, I would guess that we have missed less than probably less than 20 Thursday nights probably. over the last 17 and a half years. Uh, but we have decided that, that it's time to, to wrap up the virtual Bible study and bring it to a close. It's kind of a bittersweet decision to make. We think the virtual Bible study has done good through the years. We've talked to a lot of people. We've, we've, we've covered just an incredible amount of Bible subjects through the years. Uh, but uh, time moves on and, uh, we think our time might be better spent doing some other things. Uh, not that we don't think this is a good thing, but we, we're going to uh, we're going to at the end of the year we're going to we got two more weeks. We're going to have next week is the 22nd, and the week following will be the 29th. And our determination is that uh, December 29th will be our last 
virtual Bible study uh, after 17 and a half years. Yep. It's, uh, I don't know if it's done anybody else any good, but it's done me a lot of good, and, uh, and I will always be thankful for the time we had together. I remember how we got it started, Jacob. Uh, uh, you had been working on a call-in radio program up in Nashville, and, and you had moved on from that. And so you suggested we get a radio program here in Columbia. We couldn't find a, a radio station that wanted to give us the kind of time that we wanted for the purposes that we wanted. And so you suggested, let's just put a let's just put a program on the Internet. And and I, I said, you think anybody would listen? <laughs> and you said, well, maybe surely one person would listen. We can study with that one person. And we did that. That's how we got started. Initially, the virtual Bible study was just uh, audio only. We've, we've advanced through lots of technology. Uh, in, as you can imagine, over 17 and a half years, technology has changed quite a bit uh, in that period of time. And we've done a lot of different things with the virtual Bible study. Uh, but we think it's time, and uh, all good things must come to an end, and, and we think uh, this is the time to wrap up the virtual Bible study. So two more weeks, and at the end of 2022, after 17 and a half years, uh, we're going to end the program. Kyle, you've been here for a long time, too. What uh, We were talking the other night, eight years, maybe? Uh, which 2014 or 15, that's when I started and, helping and, out. Yeah. And, and, and Kyle has literally been here every week. I mean, he, has, he, he, he doesn't miss. And yeah. so well, we appreciate it. It's his been very, uh, very rewarding. It's uh, you can't say it's not been time well spent, though. It's been a lot of. Yeah. A lot of yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, two more weeks, two more weeks. We'll, 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 Lord willing, we'll, cut, we'll cover to the end of the year. And what I kind of think and, and some of you who are listening can uh, uh, maybe make a plan for the 29th. We'd like to have some of you who have been such faithful and dedicated listeners to call in and give us a shout out at the end at, at the end there on the 29th. All right. Thanks for your time tonight, Dad. Enjoyed the study. Thanks, Jacob. And, Kyle, thank you for being here. Yeah, it was good. And thank you for being on the other end of the line. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you, put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.